The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Sonika Ozdaba. Sonika is a Zimbabwe-born writer, artist, and musician who's written her first book, a memoir that encompasses a series, series of life experiences that were put into motion by a dramatic and life-changing event. After working as a professional opera and concert singer for 17 years, Sonika very suddenly lost her voice. This incident forced her to leave her profession and to embark on an intense spiritual journey in search of her true identity and purpose. Her book, The Soul with Two Voices, is a fascinating story of how she discovered the voice that was hidden beneath her performing artist voice and how it finally broke through the mask to reveal the voice she needed to find. In a story that spans three continents, and includes key defining moments in Zimbabwe, South Africa, England, Switzerland, and California, Sonica takes us on an incredible journey of self-discovery and intense personal transformation that is, in itself, a truly life-changing experience. Welcome, Sonica. Thank you, Cheryl. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to have you. Um, I want to thank you for your book. I was really impacted by not just the the um, the subject that w- it, I just talked about in your biography, but the fact that at many points it felt to me like you had sort of defining moments that led to great change, and then they built up to this really huge life event, and that felt very familiar to me. Is that how you see your life as well? Uh, in a way, it it was like a series of steps um, that I, I could see once I started to write the book. Um, I saw a thread, a pattern uh, in all the events of my life, and um, it, it was as though uh, when I thought that I didn't have a choice about what to do next, um, it wasn't really so much that I didn't have a choice. It's just that all the doors... To, the, to any other choice were closed. So in a sense, I was uh, forced to take the only choice that was left. Um, and that's, uh, in that way, I, I kind of see it as a journey where, where there were a lot of, uh, if you can imagine um, a corridor with a thousand doors and you keep going and trying each one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and then finally, you know, you hit one that is the only one that's left to open. 
And that's really how it felt right up until the time that I lost my voice. Um, and then after that, it was a slightly different process that, that happened, where it was more a case of unveiling or un, unmasking um, the particular place where I was at emotionally uh, to kind of get the lesson from what the incident had illustrated. You know, it, it reminded me in a sense of something that I, um, a teacher of mine said about grief, that there are that there are no new feelings, but if it's a if it's a big loss, they're so intensified that they're very evident, you know, right in front of your face. And this idea of because I myself am a singer, not an opera singer, but a singer, and that's a very primary way that I express myself in my life. And um, so the idea of having that uh, of you being even more invested in that um, way of expression. And then to lose it, uh, to me, that would be a huge, um, a huge impact. Um, when it happened, um, it was it was devastating, uh, and I really had no way of understanding what was going on. Um, as I as I started to write about it, I saw that sometimes in us there can be a disconnect between what we think we want and what we are actually feeling about it. And Mm. that's where the disconnect was for me. In my mind, I had this dream for 17 years that I wanted to be a world-famous dramatic soprano, and I thought that was my goal, that was my mission, that was was really my, my most heartfelt dream. But once I got involved in the music business and I saw many other aspects of the business, that dream started to be colored by the reality of the business. And I saw, at, in, especially in the last two years that I was at the opera, that, my, that something happened, that I wasn't, my heart was not as invested as it had been at the beginning of my career. So there was definitely a, a disconnect between what I thought was the best for me and what God thought was the best for me. (laughs) Well, also, yeah, I was very, very struck that basically, as I read, as I read it, uh, there's a way that your, your body decided for you, um, that it wasn't a linear process. It's just that suddenly you couldn't do it. Um, and so I, I, I was imagining that at first, um, that must have felt like a, like something being taken away uh, on some level. But that, in fact, looking back, you saw it as um, kind of your deeper voice speaking? I, it was definitely my deepest voice speaking. Um, and yes, what you said at the beginning is, is absolutely true, that that our body, in a sense, knows before we do. Mm. And it sends us the signals. I've, I really see it as a kind of radar system. And many of us, especially women, are, are, so, are taught not to trust that. They, are, they try to trust, trust their thinking and, and what they think they ought to do and what they think is expected of them. But when the body starts talking to you and 
And in my case, when it was literally screaming at me, um, and I still wasn't listening, it had to do something quite, uh, in a sense, violent um, to get my attention. And so in, that, in those first three weeks, when I came back for, that, for the opera season in 1993, and, and I felt like, like something was happening to my singing voice that I just... I couldn't, I couldn't get a hold on it. I couldn't understand what was happening. But, but definitely the body knew. And um, I really believe there is a part of us that knows, in spite of what anybody else tells us or what anybody else may, may say it is, that we know that there's a place inside of us that, that knows that, that something isn't right for us. And... Mm. Um, and I think that's what I was experiencing at the time. Um, but it took me a long, long time to get in touch with what my body was really trying to say. Mm-hmm. Very. I long. was. I was also very, very aware that one way in which you had made a very definite choice in your life was having been cultivated as a uh, to play the piano, and then really. Um, I guess we could use the word rebelling and choosing voice instead. Mm-hmm. And so that that's very interesting to me that that was, in fact, when you chose it, something very deeply uh, important to you. And I imagine a, a reflection of something you that was you, if you will. And then the the... Um, the experience you had actually being a f- professional doing it took you away from yourself. That's, that's a very, that's a paradox. That's a really good point. Um, when I was a child and I started out playing the piano because I, it was a kind of a natural gift, um, I got steered in that direction, you know, where, where I went to have piano lessons and theory lessons and, and all of that. Um, but when I, I think when I discovered the voice and I, and it was on two levels, I, I really loved the sound of the human voice more than anything. I just, I just kind of had a, as soon as I discovered the, the, the singers like, um, Caruso and, and Leontine Price, um, and the, you know, the, the old singers, um, from the bel canto era, um, of, you know, the, the era of beautiful singing, I just I fell in love with the human voice and and I and so it was on the one hand a, a tremendous love for that but it was also like you say a deeper need to really have a voice which I felt I didn't have when I was a child growing up mm. and so it was a it was a kind of double um function um to choose that path uh, because I felt that that was the first time that I really chose something for myself and that it wasn't chosen for me. Let's let the listeners hear the the voice of the book about this. Um, the the section from your in, your introduction that's that's about choosing uh, m- music, choosing singing, and then what happened later. Sure. Okay. So this is the introduction to my book, The Soul with Two Voices. You have it all and more to make it in this profession, proclaimed my voice teacher. It was June of 1993. 
I had made plans to go to Germany to audition for agents and fulfill my dream of becoming a world-famous dramatic soprano. For 17 years, I had worked as a professional classical singer, nine of those years as a chorus member of the Bern and Zurich Opera Companies in Switzerland. I now felt ready and confident enough to launch my solo career and fulfill what I believed to be my life purpose, using my voice to deliver a message to the world in the most dramatic way I could. Then, in August of 1993, the unthinkable happened. I, who had prided myself on being one of the most thorough and well-prepared musicians in the Zurich Opera Company, suddenly began to forget both text and music and to fall asleep during performances. In those first three weeks of the new season, it felt like an invisible hand was moving over me and slowly taking away my voice. I remember standing on stage during my final performance of Wagner's opera Lohengrin. Towards the end of the performance, I was unable to send any musical tone through my vocal cords. I realized with terror that this would be my last performance on that beautiful international opera stage that I had come to love so much, one which held so many memories of wonderful performances. The following day, I obtained permission to take a leave of absence. I went home to my apartment in Zurich and sat alone in my living room, unable to move. All I could do was stare at the wall for hours, completely in shock. Being, quote-unquote, the singer had been my identity for 17 years. Now I no longer knew who I was. After my operatic career ended, I was compelled to go on a very different journey, one that forced me to look inward and review the events of my life to find the answers to this inexplicable loss that I was completely ill-equipped to understand or fathom at the time. I realized that my professional, classically trained voice had served for many years to cover and suppress my real voice, the voice of my heart. It was time to take off the mask and discover the real person underneath, and only through writing my story was I able to make sense of the events that happened to me. This is the story of how I came to discover the two voices in my soul. One thing I thought about when I was reading that, Sonica, is that, um, you know, you were saying we, we know the direction, and then it's also possible to get distracted from the, from the depth of the direction. It sounds as if the thing that brought you to yourself then took you away from yourself, and, and you had to start over in a, in a way, and that, that's an experience... I've had, um, many people I think probably have had if they think about it. Um, but what a, what a hard thing to realize when you think that you've done something to, to really express your deepest self, to realize that it's no longer doing that. That's a, um, a really interesting change that happened exactly the way you described it because 
in the beginning, it was the way that I did express myself, and I've always thought that that I was so incredibly lucky to have been a singer for so many years because it helped me to get so much emotion out of my body through the different music uh, pieces that I sang, mm. uh, whether it was in opera or in concert work. But then there came a shift. There came a point where... Um, you know, singing and learning the operas was my regular work. And I started to feel like I was just on the sidelines, that, especially singing in a chorus, that no one could really hear me. I was singing with 48 other co-singers in the, in the chorus, plus the soloists, plus the extra chorus. And so my voice was just lost in the in the sea of voices, mm. and and yes, I, I started to feel like I had given so much energy for and time and effort for this career for this profession, and then suddenly there was there was just this feeling of being invisible, and that's when the change started to really affect me, because. Um, I thought no one knew about the amount of work I did. No one really even cared about that except me. And um, that's one of the things about the music business that, you know, you, you may excel for a while and then you can be very easily forgotten. And that's how I was feeling in, in the job that I was doing. And suddenly the I, I realized that, that none of my personal needs were being met in that in that situation mm. and it started to it started to wear on my spirit i'm also I very think, i think that was the prelude to to the you know to the final um in, in, internal decision to shut the door on it yes I'm also so aware of, uh, and we'll talk more about this after the break, which is coming up in a few minutes, but let's get started a bit. Um, the The impact of your parents' experiences before you were born in, with the Holocaust and how, in a way, that perhaps favored a sense of invisibility, uh, even way back, or... Um, not feeling room for yourself, would that be fair to say? Yes, yes, very definitely. Um, in our family, of course, my mother's experiences in the Holocaust were very much in the center of the family dynamic. And, um, and on the one hand, I think I had, you know, tremendous love and empathy for her suffering uh, that, and everything she had gone through and everything she had lost. And yet at the same time, I felt as though my presence had no no impact um, mm. because it was almost like she was, she was center stage um, and I was somewhere in the wings. So I really want to. I really want to uh, explore that further after the break. I was just watching a sure. video this morning, as a matter of fact, about um, how they are studying that um, traumatic experiences, and they've been studying it with uh, families of Holocaust survivors. 
there's actually a biochemical change that that um, is can be seen in the children's DNA. Um, oh, I so didn't know that. It, it's a huge uh, um, impact when your when your parent has had that kind of trauma. And then, of course, there's the experiential part that you're talking about. So let's talk more about that when we get back. Um, okay. Listeners, you'll you'll find li- links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America for Facebook connections, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., and to sign up on my email list. And Sonika Azdoba's book, The Soul with Two Voices, is available at Amazon. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. You'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Sonika Azdoba about her book, The Soul with Two Voices. So, Sonika, before the break, we were talking about your upbringing, your parents' 
both your parents' experiences um, with the Holocaust, particularly mothers, and how, and then during the break, we were talking about how strong an impact uh, that has. I was sharing with you that I was just watching a video uh, that PBS put out about um, the changes in in actual um, DNA, uh, the the stuff that attaches to DNA in uh, Holocaust survivors that can be seen in their children as well, even though they haven't had the trauma, which I find just um, very a, a, a very compelling fact. I think in addition to that, a lot of the the unconscious beliefs about oneself as a as a person, as a Jew, as a um, yeah, just in, uh, and as in a, as a child in such a family, you know, a lot of the beliefs get passed down unconsciously. Um, it had a tremendous impact. I can remember um, when I was a child and. There was always this contrast between the inside of the house and the outside of the house. And Zimbabwe was a, a really beautiful country with gorgeous climate, with you know sunshine all year round and and beautiful trees. And I used to love being in the outside um, and and playing outside. And then I would come inside, and then I would feel this kind of black cloud from. Mm you know, from the history of, of my parents. So there was a really strong contrast between light and shadow. Um, and I think, too, as we were talking about during the break, um, that this whole history that my mother went through and, and being this young child who who started to hear about all these stories that she would tell me about the war and also to read books about them and to see pictures that were very disturbing um, had a tremendous impact on me. And I think unconsciously I wanted to do something to avenge that, something mm. to, to, because I was so enraged about the, the suffering that, that she and her family had gone through. And so on some level, it, what was so interesting that later when I fought for my voice and it was a fight between me and my parents when I decided to be a, become a singer, but it was also on behalf of them. Mm. So there was this very mixed motivation um, because I, I really took it upon myself to go back to um, a German-speaking country and work in a German-speaking opera house with a lot of very very anti-Semitic singers, um, and I just stood my ground, and I just said, this is where, you know, I, I deserve to be here, and this is one of, of the Jews that you did not exterminate. So it was a very strong stance that I took on behalf, I think, of, of the nation, of the family, and also for myself. So that... And years later, I, when I questioned myself, you know, why did I even become an opera singer? I wasn't even crazy about that, about classical music when I was a child. I liked pop music. Mm. Um, but there was a deeper mission that I unconsciously decided to take on. And, I'd, and at some point, um, when I saw what I was doing, um, I, 
I kind of felt I was I was really taking on something that was just too huge for me to battle. And I think at that point too, the voice just decided, or some part of me just decided to, you know, to to end the career when it before I went into it full time. So I think it's a. That's why I structured my book as a collage, um, because the. The narrative is one portion, the, the poetry is one portion, there's some little bit of creative short story, there are photos, and then the cover art is, is my own art, my own painting, because the, the idea of a collage captured for me the idea of the layers in my own emotional life, and especially in my subconscious because I, I went ahead with this mission and I had no clue what I was doing or why I was doing it until much later. So it's, it's sometimes we choose professions, I think, uh, and we don't even realize how much it's dependent on our family history. Absolutely. And for sure, the way that we do them, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it seems very clear that you had a sense of mission about it, whether you knew entirely what the mission was at the start. And I wonder... Yeah. You know, in the end, um, we could either say that mission exhausted you or you completed your part of it. I don't know what we would say, but um, what impact, because when you go in with that kind of resolve, um, it does tend to have some impact on the people around you. Do you feel it did or was it just kind of you facing an uphill battle for 17 years. Was there any sense of um, illumination in the people that you were, did they change their uh, point of view at all? Or or was it just sort of painful that whole time in that way? I don't think that they realized anything because I wasn't even aware that, that I was on that kind of a mission. They just had you know, whatever feelings they had about me being there. Um, And it wasn't all negative by any means. I mean, you know, there was a lot of fun times and a lot of interesting people that I met there. But I think that the the hardest part was was just coping with with that kind of a mission and, and being completely alone with it. And having no support and no backup and no no one to come home to and and talk to really about about what was going on and most of the time I was just terrified but I I just kept working and I was I think the good part about it is that it it made me extremely tenacious or maybe that was already there I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> well it's I tend to be very intense about things yeah. when I start them. You know, I, I, I go at them with a great tenacity. <laughs> yes, I but it made me even more tenacious than usual. <laughs> it highlighted that. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I think uh, we do as children pick the coping strategy that comes kind of naturally. Um, and yes. then sometimes we overdevelop it. Uh, you know, <laughs> so your tenacity sometimes took you too far, maybe, uh, you know, you could, you could keep going, you could keep learning those very 
difficult pieces of music with great relish and energy and maybe didn't entirely bow to the fact that it was wearing you out to be in that situation, huh? Yes, yes. I mean, the tenacity is great if you want to do something as <laughs> with as much perfectionism as I own. <laughs> and um, I, wish it, I wish it wasn't that way. So, you know, it's a two-edged sword. Um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm very meticulous, I'm very thorough, and I'm very tenacious, <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I, I had a teacher once, and he, he called himself an endurer, which really looked like tenacity to me. He said he hadn't changed at all, it's just that now he only employed that aspect in service of a good cause, <laughs> which <laughs> I, I found so. a, a positive approach uh, as to what to do about that quality in himself. We're not going to get great. rid of that. You're just hopefully, you know, consider where you want to apply it, huh? <laughs> yeah, but I, I must say one thing about the about the music profession and especially about being a singer is that it it really teaches you to walk through fear. Um, mm. I know there are a lot of people who say how terrified they are of public speaking. And um, I remember the first time I set foot on the, on the Zurich Opera stage, and it's this beautiful opera house. And I thought, oh, my goodness, how am I going to survive here? How am I going to get my voice across 1,100 people? And you just, you just learn by doing. You just... I got thrown in at the deep end, and and um, um, that's the one thing that I'm I'm really thankful for because you become a much much stronger person, and you learn to master yourself, and you learn to master um, a lot of weaknesses that you have, um, and because the show has to go on, and you have to go on, and you have to be punctual, and you have to know your music, and it teaches you tremendous discipline. So, you know, from that point of view, I was very thankful for the, for the kind of person I became in spite of the tenacity. <laughs> well, tenacity was or perhaps because of, that. I don't know, I haven't worked that one out yet. <laughs> but it's, I, know um, you, I know what you mean, though, because um, for the last nine or ten years, I've been in a, in a gospel choir, and that's a very... Um, uh, theatrical way of singing, actually. Um, there's a lot of, you know, um, you have to be very visible. You have to move. You have to, and and I do think it's it's helped me to be more uh, outgoing. Yes, it and, helps you to get a lot of emotion out, and and yes. I think that that's the wonderful part about it because. You know, so many of us hold those emotions inside and they have nowhere to, to go, nowhere to express themselves. And that self-expression is one of the most important parts of life in general. Yes. It's vital. It's just vital. Um, this is a little bit of a, of a turn, but not really because we're talking about what in your childhood led you in this direction. I'd love for you to share the Forgotten Child poem. Certainly. So this was written, uh, Forgotten Child was written um, in memory of an experience I had when I was about 10 years old of being left at home for three weeks 
um, by myself, uh, just with with someone who was looking after me and and my dad, and um, and it was very very hard for me. So I will I will read Forgotten Child. My earliest memory: a sunny, quiet day, and a child with no one to talk to. Hours drifting by, time standing still, and a feeling of such desolation and abandonment. No one to hold her, no one to cuddle with, questions in her eyes, pain, such pain in her heart, unfathomable sorrow, and a sense of loss. Time drifts by, and she loses herself. Slowly, steadily, but with no pity, a heart in a desert, searching for water, but no water to be had, she slips away from life. She slips out of reality and goes to a place where no one can find her. Safe and forgotten, condemned and unwanted, a testament of neglect with no accountability. She slips away until she becomes a shell, lifeless, loveless, love-deprived, condemned to live in agony that no one sees or cares about. Forgotten by all, disregarded by all, she slips away into her tiny world, afraid to move, afraid to feel. Serrated by life's senseless cruelty, she hugs her one and only teddy bear, but the bear is dead, just like her. That rather resonates with my own childhood, I have to say, uh, for very, very different reasons. But I, I do recall that feeling. Such a, you know, we, we tend to act as if children are having superficial experience, but I tend to think they're having the deepest kinds of experience. It's a visceral experience that they have. They actually experience it physically. Um, not just emotionally, but it's it's right in their body. They they get they. I think that when you experience that kind of abandonment, it it suddenly uh, you know the the realization that no one cares about how you feel at that age can be life changing. And I think and, it was for me. And, and um, you know, as we've spoken about, there was that lonely feeling when your mother was home as well. But this was yes. kind of the exaggeration of that experience, yes? Or yes. Uh, the, the, the full-on thing <laughs> with, no, with no interruption in some way. And when it's over a period of time, like it was for me, um, those feelings suddenly become they become rooted in a place inside of you that just did, never goes away and mm. I, I can remember so many times where I would just feel like I like I, I didn't even exist I would just go about my life and, and do, do what I was supposed to do but I wasn't really there I just kind of disconnected from myself because it was just too painful to be in my body. Let's so pick I that think- up when 
Go ahead. So I think from that point of view, it had a very, uh, you, you know, we go through these defining moments, and that was definitely a defining moment for me on an emotional level. That affected me my whole life. It even affected my singing voice, and I, mm. I wasn't aware of it until much later. Let's pick that up when we come back because it's time for our second break and we can give the listeners a chance to go find us. I'm at weatheringgrief.com, weathering like a storm and grief, and at the Good Grief host page. And to find Sonica Azdoba's book, The Soul with Two Voices, you can go to Amazon. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You want to have the highest quality of life possible, and you want to live as healthy a life as possible, so you can do everything you want to do. But there are all kinds of myths with regard to what's right, what's healthy, and what is best. Debunk that misinformation by tuning into Shattering the Status Quo with Dr. Michael Quast. You should be able to make your own choices with your health and your life. And you should be well-informed to make those choices. Tune in every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Sonika Azdoba about her book, The Soul with Two Voices. Um, and before the break, uh, you shared that very deep poem from an experience in childhood. And during the break, we were talking about uh, the experience of loneliness and and how each of us and maybe m- most people still touch that at times uh, and that really we have to learn to hold our own hands through it in a sense, um, take ourselves in our own arms. I thought to myself it's, it's interesting that in childhood we get transformed 
through loss in a in a very different way to when we are older and and we have to in a sense transform ourselves from the loss that we've had mhm so it's it kind of works you know you first have the experience of that and then later you have to kind of recover a part of yourself that was lost and i think that when i wrote that poem um i i really didn't know how to recover that part of myself and i spent many many years um as i mentioned in the break uh looking for looking to fill that loneliness looking for someone to take care of that child in me for many many years and i made a lot of very poor choices mm. um you know thinking that somebody would be able to take care of that child and it took me many years to realize that i was the only person who could do that um and um it's a very delicate balance between what we you know what we need from the outside world and what we actually have to give to ourselves and it's still a learning process for me I, i'm certainly not at the end of it um but well, it's, it, yeah no go ahead you just seem like a person who's geared to learning for one thing uh that that's probably lifelong for you i had to learn that um because i i kept looking for what i needed in all the wrong places and i think sometimes even in the career i was i was looking to be heard and i i, I felt like i wasn't being heard So you know it's now a time of getting clear about you know what were those needs that I had then and what are those needs that I have now and how do I find a way to to get those needs met because the opera wasn't filling that need anymore it may mm-hmm. have done so for a certain amount of time and i really believe that we choose certain things because they do meet our needs for i i mean i had i had the need for a creative community which i had with the opera company it was a wonderful company a um, lot of different kinds of people a lot of wonderful artists and i loved that um but for me on a personal level on a very personal level some kind of need was not being met especially the need to be heard and i realized that i uh, later that i was looking in the wrong place to to have that need met you know i know from reading the book that you found some ways that really did satisfy that but before we move on to that will you uh i think this this last passage that you're going to share from the chapter called Descent into Hell really captures the dilemma you were in so mightily. Yes, yes. Um so I'll read this third excerpt. The shock of losing my voice was like no other shock I had ever experienced. I did not merely lose my voice. I felt I had lost my identity my mission in life, my career, my community, and my way of earning a living. But most importantly, I lost myself and my life purpose. I'd always defined myself as a singer, and without that identity, I no longer knew where I belonged. 
For years, I had been convinced that getting my voice out to the world through the medium of opera was the work I was meant to do in life. Now suddenly, I had lost my compass and was sailing adrift on an ocean with no destination, no anchor, and no place to land. I felt like someone had hit me with a two-ton truck, and my whole body was in excruciating pain from all the broken bones. When my therapist made the prediction that I would leave the opera, I adamantly stated that I would never leave my profession. It was everything I had worked for. But as I started to examine the deep-seated motives for having chosen to go into an operatic career, I slowly began to get a better understanding of myself. I was forced to face some very hard questions and to ask myself whose voice I had been truly fighting for. Was I fighting for my mother by giving voice to the feelings she had never had a chance to express? Was I fighting for the voices of the Jews who had lost their lives in the Holocaust? Or was I fighting for the right to my own voice that had been so discounted and invalidated within my own family? What exactly was the mission I had chosen to undertake from deep within my soul? And why had God decided to take me out of my profession at the point when I felt ready to embark on a solo career? These were the questions that haunted me day and night, and I was desperate in my search for answers. You know, the, fa- the fact of what you did eventually do after searching for those answers for, for a long time really touched me in what it was and in kind of the metaphor of it because you ended up writing music and poetry. Um, yes. And, and that's sort of um, a, a very uh, big way to have your own voice, wouldn't you say? It was definitely part of the journey towards that. When I, when I came to the U.S., um, a new channel opened up and I suddenly started composing music. Um, and a lot of the compositions were inspired by paintings and sculptures. And uh, I called myself a musical painter at the time because I was trying to paint in sound what I saw on the canvas or in the sculpture. But yes, it was definitely, I was writing my own songs, I was writing um, my own piano pieces, and um, uh, a lot of the songs depicted what I was feeling at the time, and, and then there were, other, there were other avenues too. I, I started doing art therapy, I started working with visual art, I wanted to, to somehow bring outside what was inside and put it on a canvas um, to kind of see what it was that I was dealing with on an internal level, to try to understand it. Um, so, yeah, I, I went through a lot of different, different modalities, different creative modalities, and I think that by the time I got to writing the book, it was as if... Um, as if the truck needed to be unloaded. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
to I had to unload you know everything in the back of the truck and and put it out on the street and and look at it and see what was in the truck what was in my heart what was in my soul what was in my stomach and what was it that needed to come out that somewhere inside there there had to be some kind of answer um and I think that what I'm learning or what I have learned from this is that the journey in itself is the answer. Mm. Um, I don't know if we ever come to a point where, where you can say, right, I got the answer now. Now I know all the answers to everything that happened. I think it's a constant unfolding and the, and the journey in itself for me has, has, um, just taken off different veils and different masks and different things so that I could see what I didn't see before. Mm. There's a there's a beautiful little book called uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, very short little book. And the whole uh, point of the book is that um, our growth or our, our um, movement as people only occur, occurs at the edge when we are once again beginners. I think that that's in a way what you're talking about, that there, there's an unfolding where um, we're invited to keep moving and keep exploring as we, as we live. And also when we, I think it's also important to have the compassion to, to know that you cannot know everything at the beginning and you cannot see everything at the beginning. It slowly mm-hmm. becomes revealed to you and, you, and you just remove one layer after another layer so that your perception um, changes and, and sees more of what you need to see. It's and a beautiful way kind of, to put it. I, I think that's a slightly different approach for me anyway than... than the one where people say you create your own reality, which I, I do agree with, but I think that this was for me a different approach in that um, in that was the road I had to take. It was the only road that makes sense to, made sense to me. Yes, and and I I mean um, that statement, of course, is big big around California. You know, creating your own reality. It's a little bit. There's more to it. In my in my book, but what is true is that we have, uh, as I see it, the power to respond to our experience in a way that reflects who we are, uh, no matter what that circumstance might be. And certainly, you're a great example of that. Uh, many many responses over a lifetime to what you've what you were handed to start out with, and it it feels to me as if you just continue to um, go forward. Maybe that's your tenacity, you know, right now in your life. Well, you know, I, I don't in any way, shape, or form want to undermine that idea of, you know, creating your own reality at all. That's not my intention. I, I just think that... Um, that we all have different ways of looking at things and a lot of that is dependent on our own experience. And for me, the, the only way I could understand it was through this, this 
concept of layers and, and removing one layer after the other. Mm-hmm. I suppose some people will call it peeling the onion. Peeling the you know, onion, that one, yes. That's yeah, a, that one, that's an image one that's layer gets, gets removed and you see something further and something further and something deeper. And so it just depends on how you choose to approach it. That's that's a wonderful place to end. I hope we we will both continue peeling peeling our onions as we go forward. Thank you really <laughs> so much for being with me today, Sonika. Thank I you so it. much, uh, Cheryl. I've really really enjoyed um, having this opportunity. So thank you. Absolutely. And listeners, please go find Sonika Ozdoba's book, The Soul with Two Voices, at Amazon. Next week, I'll welcome Susan Jacoby, whose podcast, Conversations That Heal, and book, How to Love Yourself, The Hope After Child Abuse, she'll share what she's learned working with her own childhood abuse. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.